Welcome to The Destinationists, the show for the modern travel marketer. I'm Andres Lopez Varela. And I'm Lauren Quaintance. Coming up on this episode of the show, it's not many destination marketers that actually uh, shy away from big above-the-line TVCs for their campaigns, but Tourism Western Australia has been doing just this for a number of years with their Just Another Day in WA brand platform. We're going to talk to them today to understand how it's been built and finessed over time. Then in Trend Monitor, we're going to look at the New York Times 52 places to go in 2019 with a destination marketing lens, picking out some trends and also dissecting how these lists come to be. And finally, in campaign news, the new hashtag Tassie style campaign from Tourism Tasmania in Australia. The, the destination marketer in that state has had a number of successful goes with this platform and they're hitting it hard again with a new variation on the message. We're going to dig into that in this episode and more all coming up now. Chris Amson is the content marketing manager at Tourism Western Australia, and uh, he and his team have had a leading hand in developing the Just Another Day in WA brand platform for their state. And what's really interesting is that this is a brand platform for a destination marketer that is very content centric. It's very much focused on own channels and own media instead of big above the line executions. Now, that's a really interesting, compelling shift for a destination marketer because it really says, well, we're going to be always on, we're going to be talking to our customers all the time in a really concerted effort, not just, you know, oh, and also we have a blog on our site or, and also we do some social videos, but actually really putting that at the center of their message. Chris joins us now to talk about how this platform has been built and what kind of lessons destination marketers can take away from this when they're doing their own content-centric brand platform. Chris, thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Chris, um, just another day in WA, th- th- this platform for the state of Western Australia, how would you describe it? Is it something that's designed mainly for campaign executions or is it a broader brand proposition for the whole state? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think um, it's it's certainly a broader brand proposition for the whole of Western Australia. And we we, we developed the uh, Just Another Day in WA concept in 2015 and we launched it in uh, 2016, so a couple of years ago. But what we wanted to do was develop a, a creative idea that could flow through a range of content and communication. So we looked at... Um, everything from campaigns to always on social media and everything in between and and what we were we were looking to do with um with just another day in wa is, is find a way that we could create that kind of a, a platform that can bring um stories and real people stories into the kind of heart of our marketing if you like and um and and ha- being able to, to develop that kind of a framework and creative idea <clears throat> that could work um much more broadly than than, than just in in campaigns alone mm. And was uh, you know when it launched, uh, the CEO Stephanie Buckland said that was sort of a, a fundamental shift in the way that Tourism WA had promoted the state. Um, what, what what was really behind that change? What were the bigger bigger trends that were driving that change? Yeah, there was it, it was at a time when we um, we were becoming more conscious that, that the marketing landscape was was changing. Um, and we knew that we couldn't rely on, um, you know, a lot of people have, have, have gone on a similar journey, just couldn't rely on TV commercials and some of those traditional above-the-line tactics alone. So there's also the growth of social media has happened, owns media platforms are becoming more of a thing in their own right with, with all of those kind of characteristics of an audience and, and, um, and characteristics that, that you might otherwise pay for. And that was kind of driving, driving some of that decision. And some of the other things that were driving that as well were 
we knew that there was um, there were becoming a lot of new opportunities to um, distribute content. So we mm. instead of having a kind of a thinner layer of, of content that goes out um, above the line. What we uh, wanted to do, um, and some of the shifts that were happening to, to prompt that, were just developing a much deeper um, kind of depth of content that, um, that there were now more opportunities to, to distribute. So they were some of those um, some of those changes, and, and just um, I think being able to move away from having a smaller number of creative assets, focusing on fewer bases to a much kind of wider spectrum of moments and stories just helps give us um, more levers to pull in terms of being able to meet people's information needs and have that kind of right content at the right point in time. That, that shift must be um, a challenging one for a small um, DMO. I imagine you're a relatively small team, but that shift away from, you know, one or two big executions, you know, TVCs yeah. to, you know, a multitude of, of ways of, re- of reaching the audience. You know, how, how have you tackled that? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge because, you know, when anybody, um, and, and, and we're certainly a kind of a lean DMO team, goes on that journey, you have to kind of uh, look at ways that you can create content at, at the kind of speed and scale that's needed. And, and it's definitely taken, um, a, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of trial and error to find the right balance and ways for us to do it. But, we, we you know, we're some of the things that we've done to try and, um, to try and tackle that are um, you're working with, um, storytellers and an editorial team and people who are kind of on the ground and and have that um, ability to bring their stories to life quite quickly um, is one of the things that we've done and we also look to just incorporate more social media and more kind of social media outreach to um, to start using other people's stories um, alongside the stories that we create and have just um, just that kind of first first person or, or, or authenticity so um, using using um, those kind of um, approaches of, of using locals and local travel writers as well mm-hmm. as um, social media, I think that's helped lift the load. And, and it seems like, as you said, this is a a platform. Just another day is a, is a platform for a number of experiences, number of activities. It's almost like an always on thing, like if from a publisher point of view, where you're making sure that you're building that audience, giving them content to keep them engaged. And then when the time comes, you know, convert, monetize, call to action, whatever it might be. So, so I mean, in that sense, it's kind of, it's very uniquely content driven. How do you sort of um, work with industry in particular to, I guess, also facilitate that shift? Because, I mean, as we know, you know, you and I have both worked in the in the, in the the DMO space in Australia. Um, it, you need that cooperation and that help and input from tourism operators, from businesses, from the people who know those, those products and, and regions and areas best to actually get this kind of an approach to be sustainable. So what are some of the key, um, I guess, markers of how you worked with industry to uh, to kind of enable that shift. Yeah, absolutely. You know, agree with everything you said there. It's that it's kind of fundamental to um, to making that approach, and especially if you want to um, take on more of a, a visual style, and you want to be able to start using the visual assets that industry and and, um, and businesses are creating. Um, and, and and you know, one of the things that we um, certainly feel is that industry are uh, amongst the best storytellers that we've got. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of do it on a, on, a, on a daily basis. So what we wanted to do um, is put some platforms um, and mechanics in place that could um, the industry um, could use and stakeholders could use um, to help uh, convey the kind of advocacy and, and, and the stories that they've got to tell. And 
there was a few things that we did and it, it kind of built over time we we uh, before we launched uh, just another day we rounded out our social media footprint with our instagram account and um, one of the first things that we did was to kind of activate local advocacy was we um, kind of kick-started a hashtag called this is wa and this was probably about 12 months before we launched and um, just another day in wa and um, we just did some very simple local activations literally towing um, a sky banner along beaches on um on kind of key days and with our handle and, and the hashtag and that kind of got that hashtag going mm-hmm. and um and gave us a platform that industry could attach their stories to um and stakeholders could attach their stories to and, and be part of that um that that advocacy drive that we were looking to build and then when um we launched just another day we used that hashtag as the kind of basis um to introduce just the hashtag just another day in wa um, mm. And it gave us access to a kind of pre-existing uh, layer of, of stories and insights from industry and operators that we could tap into. And um, that, that's one of the ways that we do that. And, and it's really an ongoing thing as well. We, when we're looking at the content that we create, an editorial layer or a, a video layer, um, we're looking now more and more towards how can we uh, surface the stories of, of industry and through some of these and, and you know one of the examples that i sometimes reference is um we've got a kind of story concept that we internally sometimes refer to as like a gather round story and it's really a way of um bringing out a storyteller from industry their kind of personal story about why the place is significant to them but then also look at um some of the experiences that are kind of uniquely western australian so you know one example might be the, the dinosaur footprints in broom um and his kind of yeah. collection of some of the best preserved footprints on the planet and then what's the story of the, the kind of tour operator and, and how does he convey that story um when he's got people on a tour so and, it, and it's a fascinating um story that people listen to it's kind of some of those smaller moments that that really sort of stay with you when you go on a holiday and it's a way of being able to bring those into our content mix as well and i think that you know things like that have have, have helped us do that and it's it's you know it's something that we 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 kind of strive to keep building on too. Speaking of, of, of the hashtags, um, you know, that we were talking about before, that you built on the original hashtag with the uh, Just Another Day in WA. I mean, what is it about that? It's, it's, it's a very, um, it's almost dry humour in a way. What is it about it that you think has resonated um, with consumers so much so that it actually pushed it, I believe, you know, with the day of launch um, to being the number one trending hashtag on Twitter? Yeah, it's... Um... It, you know, it was, it was really fascinating when that launched, just kind of watching that social reaction unfold because you kind of saw this burst from um, Western Australia and a lot of that was kind of local media discussion. And, and, you know, it's fair to say that we probably all had a little bit of sort of natural apprehension about, um, you know, it's an open platform that you know, could be all sorts of risks attached to. And I think that the, one of the reasons that it, it, it's worked and it, we've got this kind of gradual spread of positivity that's kind of carried it forward is... Um, is that it kind of suggests that um, you're going to find something out from it and, and it feels natural and it feels authentic and it feels like it's something that, um, that you know, is something that gives you that kind of insight into something that's kind of uniquely Western Australian and the people and the character and, and what it's like to be here. And I think that those things have, have kind of helped it. But, um, but it, was, it was interesting after, you know, after the launch and, and then watching just that spread uh, pick up and it just became you know, something that, We've not done a, a, a massive amount to to um, 
to promote it in, in the early days, but it just kind of very organically got people using it. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons for that is it, it you know, it does just feel kind of, kind of natural and it gives people a nice way to, to tell their story. And uh, mate, how important do you think it is for that kind of that social uh, traction, that virality to happen early on for um, for a campaign like this? I mean, like we see it a lot of the time with destination marketers and maybe airline marketers in particular, where there are constantly kind of pushing a particular hashtag and a particular kind of content and you know sometimes it doesn't work and it's really sad because uh, that campaign or that brand platform relies on that virality how important do you think it is to get that virality quickly and get that traction quickly at the start for uh, something like this yeah i think it's um i think it's really important i think um being able to um to use that kind of social media advocacy and, and word of mouth at the start of um, a new creative idea or, or campaign is really important because it it can just travel a lot further and a lot faster than some of the other tactics that we, that you know that we that we sought to use and it feels um, that it, it's also really important because it, it one of the shifts that we were trying to make with just another day in WA is a way to bring out some of those smaller lesser known really extraordinary stories and moments that happen in Western Australia that are kind of a daily occurrence and not just focus on um, kind of the bigger hero experiences that um, that, that you might have traditionally seen mm, in, in yeah. some of our advertising. And having um, that kind of social media approach up front where you, you, you're almost giving people um, the platform to tell their own stories alongside, um, you know, alongside you um, is really important. And, and it feels like, um, you know, that's, that, you know, that's certainly one of the things that we've been really pleased with is that as that's unfolded in the year since we've launched. And uh, you touched on it just briefly then, but you have a very large state. You have the biggest state, obviously, in Australia. Um, it's, there's a lot of, you know, domestic overseas visitation, in, in, intra-state, sorry, visitation as well. Um, presumably across the board, though, regardless of the kind of audience, there are some sort of awareness gaps or, or myths or, you know, preconceptions that you and the team have faced um, as part of this activity and, you know, previously in your marketing. How has that kind of changed over time, that proportion and type of myths or, or misconceptions? Um, and, and how much of that can you, do you think you can attribute to that kind of content-driven platform of Just Another Day in WA? You know, there's certain things that you know, through, through the research that we undertake, um, we know is a kind of baseline for, for Western Australia. We know that we've got um, domestically a, a pretty healthy level of um, consideration uh, for the Australian travelling population. And... and some of the but some of the awareness gaps are kind of how you sort of turn that consideration into action and, and, and they have certainly kind of changed over time at a domestic level. I think there's um, you know there's an old, old myth um, about Perth that Perth um, was kind of perceived as a um, as quite a quiet city mm. um, and I think that when we do um, like focus groups or we talk to people and you just kind of hear anecdotally it, that myth just seems to be something that, that's kind of pretty well sort of gone now. I think one of the you know, awareness gaps and myths that that we are still constantly um, tackling is um, is the amount of time you need to travel around Western Australia. I think at, at some levels there's a kind of perception that um, that you need a, a bigger chunk of time to to travel the state, and that might be because you know, as you say, it's it's um, it, it's a relatively big place, but mm. the reality is, is 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 quite different to that, and and that's where. Um, you know, we, we look through our communications and through some of the tools and, and assets that we develop um, and the way that we, we're kind of moving now towards 
um, kind of road trips as a, as a theme and be, being able to, um, you know, show people how to do certain elements of the, of the state in, in certain time periods and how to do that. We'll be looking to um, to tackle that myth. And, and it, that, so that's kind of how that, I think that's changed domestically. In, in international markets, um, there's there's a you know an awareness gap that we uh, that we continue to to tackle around WA's offer for kind of nature and wildlife and um, and some of the coastal and um, aquatic experiences yeah. when compared to destinations. Um, so what we would like to do is see kind of Western Australia going going sort of up the table in um, in terms of those um, those themes. And you know fortunately we're kind of blessed with with an abundance of those. And and then it, you know across other international markets it's. Um, it really depends on on which market it is. You know, with, if you take um, one of the one of the markets that kind of performs very well for us um, in Singapore, um, one of the challenges that we've got there um, is that a lot of people from Singapore, a lot of Singaporeans have kind of visited Perth and Western Australia in, in the past, and you know that need to drive repeat visitation because it's um, you know such a healthy and a close proximity market to us. So um, one of the one of the myths that we you know we sort of identify in that market is that you know, a fairly high proportion of Singaporeans believe that you can't visit Australia. So Australia, the, um, as a whole, for the um, for for a long weekend. So we're we you know we're really well placed to kind of tackle that. Um, so we'll look to put um, a lot of those kind of content assets and, and messages in market around you know three, two, three, four days um, either in Perth or from Perth. Um, and yeah, the, you can do. Uh, you know, very easily do a kind of trip down to Margaret River or the southwest in that time and and certainly there's a lot of trips around Perth and the kind of day trips that are, are easily done and we'll we'll try and at that point introduce lots more of those hidden gems lots more of those new discoveries and um, that kind of give that give that new reason to visit um so that, yeah, there's there, there's a, kind of a few a few of those things but um but there's there's definitely that kind of especially for Perth that that kind of change in perception over time and I think that some of that um, you know, is, is to do with it's been able to convey a, a volume of content and a volume of stories about a destination that talks to all the different facets of that place. What about the uh, hard measures, um, you know, the shifts in visitation, you know, bed night spend and perception that, you, that you've seen that you can attribute to the brand platform since you've, you've been in market with it for coming up for almost three years? I think if you look at the, the, the annualised growth rate over over three years um, it's all quite relatively positive in terms of um, in terms of visitor um, in terms of visitation where we kind of see um, a little differences in this sort of uh, fall in average length of stay which is um, you know, a bit of a trend that that, um, that we see see nationally but in you know to sort of go to a couple of the recent uh, reports that we uh, referenced in terms of interstate travel and um, so you can visitors coming over from um, from the east coast, there's been um, an uplifting visit, um, quite healthy uplifting visits by um, 11%. Um, but it's that it, there's, then there's a kind of when you look at um, all of those factors together with the kind of falling uh, length of stay and, and and how that's happening nationally too. Then we'll look at ways that that, that can be addressed too. Um, and, and internationally, there's pretty good annual um, average growth rates coming from uh, countries like China, uh, Singapore, Malaysia. Mm. Um, some kind of slightly smaller growth rates from um, Germany, UK, and, um, and 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 Europe, and and then the you know the challenge for us is is kind of building on uh, short holidays that kind of accommodate and content that can communicate that kind of national trend that's happening. So so when you when we look at you know, 
the, the kind of role of just another day across that kind of, as you say, sort of two to three years. Um, when we look at those uh, growth rates over time, it, it's been quite a positive picture. Yeah, and I mean, you guys have um, obviously done a great job in terms of increasing the volume, but keep maintaining the quality and broadening out the appeal for different audiences. So I think it's a it's a it's a very kind of a good case study for destination marketers that are planning a new kind of platform with content at its heart. And I'm wondering what sort of lessons you would share. What your number one kind of lesson would be to share with other destination marketers who are sort of in a similar position, staring down um, the, a potential kind of brand platform with content as its you know sort of biggest uh, defining factor. I definitely start with um, you know idea of what you want to achieve and 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 and, and a strategy. Put that kind of um, thinking up front and you know some of the things that we've seen are just that embracing other people's stories embracing social media embracing just the idea that other people can be your storytellers and 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 you know they'll actually quite like telling um telling stories that um you know do a very good job of of um you know communicating all the things that you know dmo might want to communicate mm. anyway um and and i think just yeah and understanding some of those problems that you can help people solve through content is something that we've tried to think about so we've tried to look at our content development alongside our consumer journeys and alongside the ways that we can address some of the you know the knowledge gaps and just the things that will help people on the, on their on their journey to um to western australia and um and just kind of test 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 and and, yeah. and improve and you know don't be afraid to fail and try some of those new things i think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that we had because it was definitely a time when um, you know, when we were launching uh, the hashtag in, in particular, that we were kind of holding our breath to see, right, how, how is how's this going to go? Um, but but it, you know, you just it, it went, you know, it went very positively for us. So I think they're they're probably um, probably the main things. And then you know, going going forward for us, we're we're kind of looking at what we what else we can do to um, help make the content that we've created be kind of bigger than the, the sum of its parts, and look at the role that new technologies and, and data can play in, in, in the distribution of that content too. So, um, but I think that kind of test, um, don't be afraid to fail, is probably probably the biggest one. Yeah. That's great. That's a really tangible um, lesson for everybody to take with them um, from um, this chat. And so thanks so much for joining us, Chris. We really appreciate your time. That's my problem. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Western Australia is a really fascinating uh, destination from a number of points of view, from a marketing point of view. And Chris Amson, the content marketing manager from uh, Tourism Western Australia, joining us there to talk about how they sort of look to sort of shift the paradigm in terms of how they promote that state with its diversity and, and with its awareness kind of challenges being quite unique. Um, two things that I wanted to touch on. First of all, um, the idea that a very clear strategy at the start with an idea of starting small, as he mentioned, they really sort of... Um, went hard on Instagram with a particular hashtag before the the big hashtag, so to speak, um, and starting with certain content formats and then sort of building out to other ones, sort of you know, progressively in a structured way, iterating like that. It might seem kind of boring and sort of, it might seem like it kind of takes the creativity out of content, but actually uh, it can be quite freeing and quite enabling because you don't need to worry about the structures around it. That's already in place and you can just kind of worry about the story um, to tell. And I think that's a really interesting lesson for destination marketers, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and I think I think particularly um, the situation is a, is, is a good lesson for those smaller DMOs. We know a lot of them. You know, yeah. we're really, you know, we're not talking about big marketing teams. We really, there's not a lot of resources oh, yeah. in the organisation. So how do you better work with industry? And I think he was, you know, he was interesting um, on that point. You know, a lot of people will, you know, kind of bag industry saying, you know, they, they you don't know what good content is, yeah. but actually, you know, they're telling stories day in day out. That's that that is that is what yes. they're doing. Whether they whether they know they're doing it or not, how you harness that um, and use that. Um, in your content marketing is really is really key as well as you know working closely with a, a range of content sources and kind of you know letting them do the, the heavy lifting as you said the industry stakeholder pieces are my actually my almost sub points i guess um because that's really uh, challenging you know in a um, destination that, that, that is that diverse you've got everything from like some of the you know world's best wineries that have a lot of tourism product Great sort of you know food and dining experiences. You've got you know Perth, the capital city, with, with its own kind of structures and challenges. Then you've got the outback. Like you've got a whole range of different experiences there that aren't necessarily easy to kind of corral and, and work with from a tourism point of view. But obviously, being very deliberate and uh, leveraging those people's own stories and putting their personalities into the content seems like a good way to kind of make sure that you know, sort of minimise your industry blowback at the same time as creating a high volume and variety of content. Uh, that's certainly a key lesson that came out of that for me. That's smart. And um, I think the other point, he's kind of, Chris's kind of takeaway, I think, which is which is really, really valuable, I don't want to, um, uh, you know, gloss over this, is the idea of testing, learning, iterating, getting rid of stuff that doesn't work. I think sometimes in content we're, also, we're always driven by, the story and sort of the kind of qualitative element, but setting some metrics, understanding, you know, is something A, performing with the audience, but B, is it also operationally efficient to actually make? Like that's kind of, you know, the bread and butter stuff that we talk about in a lot of our work as well. That if, you, if your stuff isn't, isn't working, if you can see, if the data is telling you that it's too difficult to, to make, it's too hard to, to, you know, operationalize, it's not resonating with the audience, then you really have to let it go. Like, you can't be precious about that kind of thing. And destination marketers can often be some of the more, you know, precious marketers, so to speak, in inverted commas, because of, um, you know, the attachment to the product and the, and the experience. But in reality, it's just like any other content. If it's not working, you've got to let it go. There's an old saying in journalism, which is you've got to murder your darlings. Yes. Oh, I love that. You have to murder your darlings. We should put that on a T-shirt. Maybe we'll yeah. put that on a T-shirt we'll put it on the website. It's also a bit scary, though. Right? It's time for Trend Monitor for episode 11. Uh, and this time around, we want to talk about the New York Times 52 Places to Go list, which they uh, do annually, this time every year. Presumably, it's one place for every week, if you are so inclined uh, and very, very rich. Um, but this year, there's a lot of really great and interesting places. We want to look at this from a, a marketing destination marketing lens. But um, first of all, some of the highlights on this, Puerto Rico is number one. There's places that you know, you'd know you expect to see on these kinds of lists, like the Azores. Um, there's um, Salvador, uh, Calgary, the city in Canada, Aberdeen, New York City, you know, these kind of perennial places. Uh, Qatar is on there, LA, and a couple of Australian inclusions, the Northern Rivers in New South Wales, um, Perth yeah, over in Western Australia. So um, maybe, I mean, obviously your experience places you uniquely to, to talk to us about this. How do these lists kind of come together for starters? Yeah, well, there's a lot of these lists, aren't there? I mean, in mm. a number of 
publications do have them um you know time out would do similar things you know Condé Nast Traveller you know you do you do see these lists and people get very you know hung up on them they you know and, and, and destination marketers love them if you appear on the list obviously oh, it's a big deal. you know fantastic yeah. it's a, you, know, you know Canberra and Tasmania have appeared on similar lists in recent years and and um you know definitely leverage that I guess my experience as a you know former travel magazine um, editor tells me that these things are you know largely subjective you know they are they sure. are kind of you know what you're doing is you're drawing on the expertise of your of your travel writing team yes. um, and, and your contributors and, and getting them to submit ideas and then kind of you know rifling through those ideas but you know from an editor's point of view what you're really looking for is is a mix you're looking for some big iconic destinations you're looking for some unknown places that you've never heard of that really mm. make you you know kind of look twice um you're looking for you know uh, i guess a, a new twist on an old place something that may you know something that, something that makes you think differently about a place looking at it from yep. a different angle so it might be you know a sort of unexpected place it's now a foodie destination or it, you know it might be somewhere that's you know making a real comeback i mean travel editors love a comeback or a revival story that's you know that's kind of that's very much um part of the bread and butter um of these kind of lists and then you're looking on top of that for geographical diversity so you know even if there are 17 great places in germany you're not going to get 17 great places in germany on the list sorry germany because you know you you need to balance um you know the geography in here they're they're, they're trying to be global they've you know they've got you know something from you know as well as australia yeah new zealand appears and and you know you've you've got good coverage in europe as well as some regional centers in the u.s as well as some big you know places like new york and la that are on the list yes um so thinking now about the some of the trends which um which uh, we have sort of we sort of feel it coming out here. The first one, the impact that climate change and sustainability have on uh, on this list this year in particular in two ways. There is a you know a handful of destinations which are pretty much come and see this place before it's gone. It's almost gone. You know, there's some ice caves in Canada that have almost melted. The Falkland Islands as well. Um, there's a few other places which have that kind of feeling about them. And then also places that have sustainability and sustainable practices at, at their heart. Um, including Brando Resort in the islands of Tahiti, um, uh, a couple of places in the Northern Rivers in New South Wales. So how do you see this trend playing out um, around the importance for marketers to, I guess, you know, tout their environmental kind of credentials, if you like, as part of their destination marketing? Mm. I think that ecotourism is a trend that doesn't go away. You know, it has been yes. around for some time, but I think that there's, legitimately now more product to market you know they're actually Mm. you know i feel that um when i was visiting particularly resorts you know five or ten years ago even very high-end resorts you know the 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 eco program was really confined to you know it might be a you know a turtle hatching sort of program they have you know or they have a very small market garden it really wasn't you know you know all considered and and you mentioned the brando which is um a a, an amazing resort in tahiti that i visited last year for Qantas magazine and you know it is a very high-end resort Barack Obama wrote his most recent book there uh, oh, they went yeah. there for six weeks so it was you know it's very high end but they have done it in a way that is you know really um, astonishing they have you know there's something like 3,000 solar panels that are lining the um, the runway as you as you fly in um, yeah. on their private jet into this little island um, and then you know they have a massive desalination plant um, fuel the air conditioning it's all completely um, self-sustaining um, yeah. huge gardens which 
are now um, sort of growing something like 70% of what they consume at the resort, which is amazing given it's kind of quite inhospitable. Yes, of course. You know, this is quite far out on, you know, an atoll. Yes. Um, and so I think that that makes the job of, um, you know, marketers in this respect, you know, the fact that the product has moved so far mm. on, you know, the, you know, t- ecotourism isn't that sort of tokenistic thing necessarily yes, anymore. Yes. It really is kind of, you know, kind of integrated. Integral, yeah, part of the... Yeah, makes it a, a lot easier to, to tell that story. So that's um, really the lesson there is that the product's obviously got to deliver on the promise that you make in the marketing. Um, one of the other trends that we're seeing is, um, well, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's not particularly a new trend, but it's certainly a continuing trend of food tourism and I guess geographical kind of regions beyond cities in particular being defined by their food profile. There's a couple of places, there's an interesting um, piece about Panama and uh, its coastal regions and, and how that's developing into you know, somewhat of a food um, kind of uh, destination. The Northern Rivers, obviously, in New South Wales is quite well known if you're in Australia. Um, there are a couple of interesting points about places like... Um, uh, Perth, uh, like, and the broader kind of region, the Elkie Valley in Chile. So there's quite a few places where, where outside of cities, where the regions are now kind of define themselves as food destinations. And I tend to think this is a survival mechanism, really, because um, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, these regional areas may be, you know, practically speaking, bypassed by new highway constructions and infrastructure and things like that. So you really give people an incentive to get off the highway and stop there for, you know, at the very least a lunch, but ideally one or two nights. Uh, And so it strikes me that food tourism is obviously not going away, but it's really sort of, it's perhaps become more of a survival mechanism rather than something uh, by choice, in my opinion. Mm. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you, when you're saying that, I'm just thinking of, of the Michelin Guide, really. You know, if you think yeah. about food tourism, you know, there's been, a, you know, a, a guide essentially, you know, started as a guide for, for motorists, um, you know, was held up as one of the great examples of content, content marketing. marketing of um, but, you know, really you're talking about little regional um, restaurants all around France, and that was a guide to, you know, how to access them, and that's where the Michelin Guide started. And so yeah. this has been around for a while in a yes. way of, of sort of drawing people to these locations. But I think you're right, it's interesting what's happening in the regions and even sort of subsets of regions because you know it's it, with the northern rivers it's really not just byron bay anymore in fact yeah. actually the kind of epicenter of, of what's happening has moved out of byron um to places yeah. like brunswick heads with fleet um and cabarita beaked with yeah. halcyon house yeah. you know there's some really fantastic examples of of, of restaurants and kind of you know locally grown um, food and, and great chefs that are opening up in those places. So 52 places to go in 2019. If uh, if if you can't afford to go to them all, or you don't have 52 weeks of, of annual leave saved up. The New York Times has appointed what they're calling a 52 places traveller, which they did last year, and this year it's a guy by the name a journalist by the name of Sebastian Modak. He's going to be visiting every single place. So I'll certainly certainly keep an eye on him because that will be quite a quite a bunch of Instagram pictures, I think. In this episode in campaign news, we want to talk about a new campaign from Tourism Tasmania. It's a social media campaign. They've invested um, $500,000 in it. And essentially, it's it's about, you know, driving um, more tourism um, to Tasmania in autumn and winter, which are peak seasons for them. But they launched it um, on the 3rd of January. So it's very much about starting to talk have a conversation now on social media to drive that interest for winter they've called it um a quiet little dot 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 hashtag tazzy style which has been there 
their thing, uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister, has been their hashtag um, for a while now, this Tassie yes. style. So they're looking to sort of extend that with the idea of a quiet little something. It could be a little moment, it could be a, a quiet little drink, it could be a quiet little um, you walk know, walk in the park. Walk in the park. Yeah. And it's really about encouraging Tasmanians to share those kind of micro moments, those little moments mm. that make living there special in order to sort of try and attract um, tourism. And there's an interesting background um, to how they came up with this a quiet little idea, isn't there? Yes. Uh, so it, it originates um, from from uh, the, the phrase a quiet little drink, which is uh, a very classically Australian story that in 1969, there were two sailors who shouted 200 beers at a Battery Point pub. A Battery Point is a suburb of, of Hobart. Um, and they called it a, just called it a quiet little drink uh, for their mates. I don't know how many people they shouted it for, but knowing sailors and Australians, it's probably four or five people that had those 200 beers, I think. Um, but... Apparently, it was after the Sydney to Hobart. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, there's probably a few mates there. That makes sense. <laughs> What's interesting about this, and in the context of the conversation we had with, with Chris Hampson this episode as well, is this idea of using um, hashtags uh, and uh, to, to collect content on social media as a sort of, you know, precursor to something else. And sort of, you know, using that content, gathering that content um, and getting it kind of ready and, and tidy and neat and ready for a, another particular aspect. So in the way that Chris mentioned how they use the This Is WA hashtag initially before the big sort of another day in WA, it seems like a similar kind of approach here. These guys have been doing uh, Tassie staff for a number of years. It works very well for them. And, you know, pleasingly, they don't need to invest very much money anymore or very much effort to kind of get this uh, happening. They've got a really well-primed industry, really well-primed population and travellers as well. And so I think this is a great... I think what's particularly interesting this time around is that they're doing it earlier in the year. And I think that's an interesting... Um, I guess, note or lesson, I think, for destination marketers to remember that actually, even though you want to promote, say, winter in your destination, you probably need to be thinking about how you can sort of showcase some of the the value proposition of that earlier on and really kind of hit those key kind of booking periods. In particular, obviously, this is a great time of year. People are coming back from their Christmas holidays in Australia, domestically at least, and they are feeling maybe a little bit sad about having to go back to work. They'd rather be on holiday, and so it's actually a really good time to sort of prime, prime the pump, so to speak. Yeah, I, th- I think really any marketers that aren't in market in January are really missing a, a trick because, yes. you know, when I was here to travel for Fairfax, we would see a massive spike in our traffic in January mm. um, because, to your point, people come back from holidays and plan more holidays. Yeah. They're also sitting at their desks if they're back at work with not that much to do. It was always odd to me because advertisers were often absent at that time. Yes, was, you know, sort of switch things off. can see how um, Tasmania's, you know, made a smart move here what what is, i like about this this um quiet little moment though is it's mm. sort of it's sort of understated you know i guess i guess what they're picking yes. up on here is that sort of and so is tazzy style that kind of that laid back um yes. you know kind of approach that they have so that you know a quiet drink could be sitting on the edge of a cliff on some amazing you know kind of vista which is yes. tasmania it's a quiet little drink yes um but yet it's amazing it's a pretty epic experience yeah exactly That's all we have time for today on this episode of The Destinationists. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. If you want to find out more, hit up the website at thedestinationists.com, follow us on Twitter, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Oh, and remember, if you like the podcast, give us a rating or review and tell your mates about it too. I'm Andres Lopez-Varela. And I'm Lauren Quaintance. Join us next time for more insights from top travel marketers from around the globe.